Welcome to What's the Word Downtown, a weekly podcast dedicated to mining the depth of the word, a word that's sharp and active in downtown Tyler, Texas. Join Eric, Matt, and Mike as we get the word out at Bethel. Hey, welcome to What's the Word Downtown. I'm Matt. This is Pastor Eric Barton, Bethel Bible Church Downtown. We've been looking at Genesis, and this week we're talking through your sermon yesterday mm-hmm. on Genesis 28. 28. And uh, what a sermon it was. We mm-hmm. have, this is Jacob's, this is Jacob's ladder, the yeah. dream. Once again, the Lord works, but first he has to put us down. <laughs> right. That we will stop kicking and trying to assert our ideas and our initiatives, and in Jacob's case, our schemes, uh, and we will hear from him. So yeah. what happens? This is mystical. Oh, it's completely, and yet it's marvelous and it's pertinent to every human being's experience and need, is Jacob is laid bare of all of his perceived strengths. I mean, so the, the backstory real quick is we're talking about the God Thank of you. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is that Jacob is basically heard that his brother's going to try to kill him. I mean, it's the stuff of a mm-hmm. of a 80s nighttime soap opera. I mean, it's Dynasty with John Carrington or Blake Carrington and all that mm-hmm. stuff. I mean, it's, there's a lot of intrigue and a lot he of... He also knows he deserves it. Correct. Absolutely. So he's down in the very southern part of what is today Israel in the Negev in a place called Beersheba a place where God has shown his faithfulness to his grandfather Abraham, mm-hmm. to his father Isaac, and now Jacob's down here, and Isaac and Rebekah, Jacob's parents, are going to send him away because they've heard that Esau is going to try to kill him. Mm-hmm. And Esau, understanding that Isaac and Rebekah are going to send Jacob away to marry a non-Canaanite woman, says, oh, I know what I'll do. I'll add uh, a non-Canaanite woman to my household and they'll love me and they'll bless me and they'll finally give me favor. And so he marries the daughter of Ishmael who was the product of, you know, an Egyptian and a Canaanite and it just makes matters worse. He makes things really bad, but that's a little backstory. Jacob departs from Beersheba in the South and he books it. Dude apparently in one day makes it 50 miles, which I mean, think about like a double marathon, but mm-hmm. you're wearing homemade sandals mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're walking over the hill country of rocky, horrible terrain, 50 miles. He's exhausted. He's got no provisions. He's laid bare. There's no one to scheme with. There's no trickery. There's no deceit. He's just out of gas. And so he basically, when the sun finally sets and it's dark, he collapses and he falls asleep and God comes to him. You would think the story, if if we... Look at these Bible stories as though we're reading about heroes or reading Aesop's fables, that the moral of the story is, but it's not that. Jacob, in his exhaustion and his anxiety and all of his fear, uncertainty, and doubt, is still not seeking after God. And yet, God comes to him anyway. I mean, that's really a, a very small, yet vague, yet powerful picture of the gospel. Well, let me ask you something, and maybe this is, uh, maybe this is my faulty thinking, but... There are a lot of people, maybe all of humanity, who in some way, one, whether they know it or not, are seeking after God. But they're seeking after what God, what God can bring. Right. Uh, missing the, uh, you know, missing the moon for the finger pointing at it, yeah. if you will. But, you know, 
it, Jacob is has not sought after God? No. Ever. You've not seen him call on God's name once. Jacob is a great picture of but following what does humanity. He, want? he wants to be happy. Jacob wants what Jacob wants. We all do. He There's wants someone, to be blessed. He wants he wants a blessing. Yeah. Not necessarily to be blessed, although he would settle for being blessed. What he really wants is the blessings. The pastor got in a lot of trouble uh, a number of years ago for saying this. He wasn't wrong. It's just the way he said it was wrong. Mm -hmm. He said the people are no longer on a truth quest. They don't care. They are on a happiness quest, mm -hmm. and they don't care how it comes, whether it's by hook or crook. Mm -hmm. They just want to be happy. Mm -hmm. And it sounds sort of like a shallow veneer, and intentionally so. People would anthropologically speaking, just settle for happiness and bliss. Hmm. And to seek after God, no. Heavens no. We will seek after God as long as we think he's going to make us happy. But this God is not interested in our happiness. And so because of that, a lot of people will reject and forego the blessing that he does offer because we have an immediate gratification mindset. And that's what Jacob has. Mm -hmm. He wants to be happy. He wants to, to feel as though all is well, and if he has to break some eggs along the way, he wants the omelet, to use the metaphor yeah. there. And so in that sense, he is a very accurate picture of us, mm -hmm. and yet he runs himself completely out of steam, mm -hmm. and God never apologizes for that, comes to him. Mm -hmm. And the text in Genesis 28 is really amazingly graphic that God manifests himself to Jacob at his lowest. He's wrung out, got no other resources, no other place to turn and God comes to him. Is this a wilderness? Absolutely. And by the way, that's a great point is that God always woos his people in the wilderness. We do everything we can to avoid wilderness experiences. Mm -hmm. And that's where God always woos his people, particularly the nation of Israel. Mm -hmm. And so the, the sort of the meta layer to this is that Moses is writing this to the children of Israel who are generationally descended from Jacob they are Israel, as we'll see later he gets his name changed. Here they are in the wilderness again. Moses wants them to know no matter how it seems, looks, or feels, or no matter what you perceive, God is with you. One of the interesting things about wildernesses, and I, I'm working backwards from uh, Matthew 4, and yeah. Christ in the wilderness, does God always set forth ministry after a wilderness period? Seems to be. There seems to be uh, something like, I'm taking you to the wilderness Jacob, to get your mind right. And when you've run completely out of steam, something like Christ fasting for 40 days, yeah. you have nothing to give. You're hungry, you're desperate, and, and you're, you've finally come to that very important conclusion that each of us must come to, which is that we cannot. Right. We cannot reach God. Right. That's we must exactly be reached it. by God. Correct. So there seems to be, and it's not, I wouldn't be dogmatic about sure. this, but there seems to be an upside down bell curve, meaning how it typically goes is there's a, a high point, a mountaintop, quote unquote, experience where things are really good. And then just like in Jesus's temptation in the wilderness, the spirit drives him into the wilderness. Mm -hmm. So there's a, a time of, of scarcity, mm -hmm. of, of strength, of confidence, of, of hope, perhaps even, which is generally followed up by a season of usefulness. Mm -hmm. So there is, in the case of Jacob, you've got this Man, what an amazing thing. His mother has told him, you're going to be the one. You're going to get the birthright. You don't deserve it. You haven't mm -hmm. earned it. You, mm -hmm. can't, you can't get it, but you're going to be the one because God has said so. 
and immediately he goes through all these schemes and deceptions. He alienates himself from his brother, ultimately from his mother and his father as well. He's driven into the wilderness, and it's this horrible deal. But then we're going to see some incredible usefulness where God's going to do what God's going to do, not even in spite of his fallenness, but through his fallenness. This is the superintention that climaxes at the end of Genesis where Joseph, the, the son of Jacob, will say what you all intended for evil, God superintends for good. And that's where the mind blows and says all of this error and errancy that I have pursued, God's going to not work just despite it. He's going to work in and through it. And that's a very big comfort to us. There's not a big. There's not a bigger comfort. Is Correct. There? Correct. Because we have a tendency to think, well, I've 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 treated my life like it's this giant shell game, and God's kind of doing this, and I have to try to follow the P, and then, oops, I made a bunch of bad decisions, or I haven't been paying attention, and I've missed the P under the shell, and now I've made a dumpster fire of my life. God says, God was in this place, and I did not know it. Exactly. I loved that. Isn't that great? I thought that's a song. Only because Should be. a, that is the classic palm-to-face posture of any man of God who recognizes how God has redeemed the wreckage of his life and revealed his intimate knowledge of all of those dark corners of your life where you thought you could... Right. Compartmentalize. Compartmentalize and hide push him out. from time to time. Yeah. Yeah, and so then God begins to... Uh, we, I, I think of it sometimes like a, a spelunkering God down into the insides <laughs> of us. And like he starts to shine a light around on all those places we thought we could hide from him. Wow. And wherever he shines his light, exposing it, it renders it forgiven. Right. Or renders it us, you know, con- we're, we're now consciousness. We're conscious of his, of, of the, the, the breadth of forgiveness where we weren't before. Right, and then and, it becomes useful, and then it becomes and usable. Use- yeah, because mm-hmm. then we can go and tell. Guess how much God forgave? Yeah, I can yeah. tell you. Right, you know. Right. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the latter, because we know that that I think I think don't say tell me if I'm wrong, but that Jesus is the latter. He's the latter, and Jacob gets at least a a picture in part of. The ladder that will, that is coming. Or the, uh, yeah, the, it gets a flicker and a foreshadow of that which is going to be realized in the flesh. But you're no stranger to the Bible, to church, to teaching and preaching. When you hear Jacob's ladder, what is the what is the image that you're prompted to to imagine? What do you see? Well, I see something coming down from heaven, and the the. Uh, capacity for Jacob to crawl up it you know I mean I know that's not I think that's what you wanted me to say I think that's right yeah except there's there's never that's how we're catechized exactly yeah and unfortunately it's often presented as okay here's the ladder now you start climbing and that is categorically not at all what the text is saying not what Moses means and certainly not what God has is that God condescends he enters in he approaches and doesn't even say like you see in so many quest narratives, hey, there's the beacon way over there, to quote the great theology of Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Mm-hmm. There's the grail that continues to show up 
on the other side of the chasm or the grail, the beacon shows up way over there at Castle Anthrax or mm -hmm. whatever it is. It's always way over there and you've got to quest and you've got to get there. You've got to accomplish and achieve and you have to somehow champion a victory. No, Jacob's laying down on a rock and the, 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 it's not a ladder, it's this majestic staircase, this Hebrew term shulam, this massive staircase that has the idea of the grandeur of heaven condescending to his temple. I mean, it's right there as it comes down to him. It's right there, and the Lord Yahweh is standing right there, right at him. He can see him? He can see him. He has conversations. So we know that this is a pre-incarnate Christ. This is a theophany or a Christophany where... He's saying, look, do you see this is reality? And this is why when Jacob says, God was in this place and I did not know it. There is no place in the created order where that is not true. And we have to know that. We have to hear that. That's what Moses is telling the Israelites because it might seem that the Amalekites are too big and strong. It might seem that your finances in the 21st century are too big and strong. There is no place that you can go where God is not there. That's the content of all the Psalms. Whether I am in the grave, whether I am in the depths, where am I in the heavens, whether I am walking about, you are with me. And where can you suffer? How can you suffer? What can you lose? What can you give up? What can be taken from you? How can you be criticized? How can you be persecuted? Fill in the blank. What could you possibly do that Christ has not already yeah. entered into? To the degree that, with that knowledge safely tucked within you, Mm -hmm. you you can look at whatever the predicament of your life is, whatever the circumstances of your life is, and say, God is with me. Yeah. Regardless of how I feel, mm -hmm. we have the privilege and the prerogative of preaching little sermons to our souls and reminding ourselves, God is with me. A Christian is a person who is ever increasingly growing in proper perspective mm. because we as a fallen corrupted species have a tendency for our perspective to pervert it, it goes off course by default it when whenever we're, we're on autopilot we drift and never to good it's always going to pervert our perspective and so what moses is giving the israelites is what god is giving us is lanes in which to 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 live our lives of proper perspective. God is with me, whether I knew it or not. God is in this place, and I did not know it. But I can know that he is there. And things might seem awful dark and shadowy. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. We see Psalm 23 in Genesis 28, mm -hmm. that God is with you, no matter if it seems dark. And so what you see in David come out of Psalm 23 is this wonderful, calm, peace-filled perspective though he's surrounded by enemies. And you see the same thing where Jacob says, now I know that God is in this place. I read this wonderful quote this week, old Scottish fiery pastor, Robert Murray McShane. Mm -hmm. He said, if I could hear the Savior praying in the next room for me, I would not be frightened by a million enemies. Mm. I think that's it. That's Wonderful. Genesis 28, that's Psalm 23, that's us in the 21st century. If we could just know that the Savior was praying for us in the next room and if we could hear it, we would have proper perspective and confidence and peace. Well, that's what Genesis 28 is giving us. In a sense, we get to hear the Savior praying for us in the next room. God is in this place and he descends and there's never an invitation for Jacob to climb. 
just bask in the glory and the reality what's of what the God's point doing. of climbing what would be the point of climbing futility futility and so you get this idea that the the, the shulam the staircase or as i said in the sermon yesterday this glorious escalator that is ascending and descending is that it's one end is in the dimension or the realm of heaven one dimension is in the realm or the dimension of earth the physical and the spiritual there's a there's a a portal you might even say mm-hmm. that yes indeed we come to the new testament and we find out oh jesus himself says that he is jacob's ladder he is the one he is the one who has one foot in heaven one foot on earth he draws heaven to earth. He draws earth to heaven. It's a person. It's not a process. It's not a program. It's not a procedure. It's not a practice or any other P word that I can come up with. It's a person. It's okay. him. It's so him. drawing heaven to earth. Drawing heaven to earth. Yeah. That is, you have eternal life now. Correct. You may feel like I'm dying. You may look. You may. You may be counting gray hairs or back aches. Right. That we're wasting away. But but yeah. yeah, but 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 that the outward shell seems to be wasting away. What more comforting word is it is there than eternal life? I was out in the I was out working in the yard and I tend to work very I don't like work. So <laughs> right. when I work, I work very hard and very fast mm-hmm. and it scares my wife because of how hard I because I'm just trying to get through it. I'm just trying mm-hmm. to get over with. And I, th- I think I, I got my heart worked up a little bit. And I was just like kind of out of breath. And I just stopped and I thought, I looked around at all these flowers in my backyard that I'd been working on. And I said, what if I just died right here <laughs> right. in the garden? You know, would and, and I, I probably like you had, what, four or five years ago yeah. when you had, the, I don't know, this was not a heart attack. At least I don't think so. <laughs> but the point, the, the, the point being is that there are times in our lives where the only comfort is that we are his. Right. The only plan is his plan. So it's the only one, and it's the only one necessary. Yeah. Everything else falls right into place. Mm -hmm. That's why this image of this staircase is to be such a comfort. It is a very visceral picture of reality, of the already and the not yet. No line on the horizon. No lines. Yes. No line on the horizon. God is condescending of heaven and earth. Absolutely. We need not strive. So however you interpret Psalm 4610, cease striving, says the King James, be still and know that I am God. Candidly, Psalm 4610 is a rebuke, but there is an application principle that says, stop. Some of us can't stop until we have a consequence so bad that we end in jail Right. That we break a leg, right. uh, that we have a mental breakdown. Right. There are those of us who are so doggedly persistent in our dreams or our plans, forgetting all the while the proverb that says, "In the heart of man, plans are laid, but the mm-hmm. Lord provides the steps." The step, the 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 minutia, as it were. The devil is not in the details. In fact, it's the Lord in the details of your life. Correct. And that's something that. Um, there are certain types of people who will not stop until they are stopped. Aprendemos de golpe. Decimos en español. Okay. We have a saying, our species learns best by the beating of the head. Mm. We learn by the head bump. That's mm-hmm. often how we learn. But that's human fallen foolishness. Mm-hmm. To learn only by the bump of the head that there's a wall there 
when instead we have the owner's manual saying, hey, if you slam your forehead against those bricks, it's going to hurt. Mm -hmm. Wisdom is seeing the world through God's eyes, saying, hey, we've been given all this literature, all this narrative from guys like Moses and David and Solomon. Solomon in Proverbs 7 stands on the balcony and watches the young man walk down the street, and he sees him approaching the house of a harlot, and he says from the balcony, don't go in, mm. don't go mm. in, it is a fowler's snare, don't do it. We have, in my copies, like 1,800 pages of the view from the balcony. We get to stand on the balcony and, in a sense, watch our own lives walk down the road. That's an amazing grace that God gives us. We get to peer at our own lives from the balcony and say, okay, I see this happening in the life of Jacob. I see it happening in the life of his father Isaac and the life of his father Abraham. But we have the vantage point of the narrator, just like in the book of Job. But we don't get to see our own lives, except for a Christian you do. You get to watch your life through the lens of Scripture, which is God's perspective, and go, hmm, God sees me walking down the street about to turn right into the proverbial harlot's house. That's, that's not, God was in this place, and I did not know it. Mm. We don't have to learn by bumping our heads. We can learn from there's nothing new under the sun kind of wisdom. And as we've said all the time, our enemy is not creative. He's not going to come up with a brand new scheme it's the same stuff. We can see from 4,000 years ago with Job, from 3,800 years ago with Jacob, to 30 minutes ago with me in the 21st century. Does this change Jacob? Profoundly. Does he left? He's left changed. This is a yeah. salvation-type experience, isn't it? Or, well, I that's mean, a great question. So I don't know. I mean, we... Here's what I would say about that. I, I think it's a, it's a faulty category when we say saved... What we know is that previously, God was the God of Abraham and Isaac. Hmm. What we have coming out of Genesis 28 is that he is now the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so, as we said, Bethel is the place, Bethel, the house of God, where Jacob names this place. It is the place or the moment or the event or the crisis, perhaps, hmm. or whatever, where God stops being the God of somebody else and he becomes the God of Matthew P. McGill. Yeah, well, and the thing is, it's like he's he's he has nothing left. He's completely out of scheme, out of steam, and yet his entire life has been characterized by scheming. Right. And, and what you find out is he never had anything to begin with. God yeah. alone. Yeah. That's all he had. But this is what I mean by uh, by God becoming his God now. It's because he has nothing left to do that he's finally at a place where he can receive God with empty hands. Right, right. Uh, and the no and not only empty hands, but I think the knowledge of his um, futile, futility. Right, and so there you have it. In the chapter, you got this wonderful little picture of Jacob taking the stone of suffering, which we all have in various ways, mm -hmm. and setting it up as an altar, a permanent altar of worship. That is a mark of wisdom, of understanding, of, we might say, conversion, cross, transformation. Cross theology. The cross idea theology. that the bad thing, that what appeared bad to me, actually was in the Redeemer's hands an instrument of my salvation. It's a scalpel, right? Mm -hmm. The scalpel is a horrifying, terrifying instrument unless it's cutting away something malignant that will mm -hmm. kill me. That's right. 
And so, yeah, he takes this stone and he sets it up, anoints it with oil, which is just this amazing thing. Anointing is slathering, is the same word in the New Testament for Christ. Christos is anointed one, the slathered one, the, 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 the messiahed one. He sets this up and identifies this is the place where my suffering was in connection and in proximity with the transforming grace of the presence of God, and he worships, which is a broader category for what most of us think about in the 21st century of salvation. It's not just going to heaven when you die. It is recognizing, living as though heaven has come to you in the here and now in this life. And the strength, That's is it. Made, the strength of God is made perfect or made conscious to you through your weakness. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so... Because you learn that not only God can, but God cares. Oh, very much. Even if it doesn't seem it at the moment, yeah. he cares more than we do. Because he's not interested principally in our happiness. He's interested in our holiness, and he has the eternal view. We don't. Mm -hmm. We have the need of creature comfort. Mm -hmm. Jacob had no creature comfort, but what he did have was the creator, which was better, infinitely so. So, yeah. it's a wonderful reminder that this God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who is the creator and the king of the cosmos, is also very particularly involved even with nondescript, nameless little people in the 21st century. And I know we're trying to wrap it up, but I want to say I read a book one time. I think it was called The Healing of the Masculine Soul. And it was a particular, I don't know, a psychotherapist, Christian counselor. I forget exactly, but it was something like taking trauma, I mean, working with people, mm -hmm. and through, I don't, I don't, I'm not, not hypnosis, but some sort of uh, path wherein there is an invitation, a willful invitation by the person who's experienced the trauma to invite the presence of the Lord in. Oh, yeah. That is to say, even while I was enduring this horrible traumatic thing over which I had no control, something perhaps that was perpetrated against you, right? that to reimagine the presence of the suffering Christ alongside you, somehow took away a bit of the trauma because now you were adjoined or conjoined. I don't know if that's exactly the right word, but, <laughs> but now you, you have in your mind's eye and your heart's effect, you know, in your heart, the, the, the presence of God identifying with you or uh, making himself known to you, or at the very least comforting you through a traumatic period. And I wonder if there's not something here with Jacob when he says something like, surely God was in this place and I did not know it. That, there's, that there is mm. an invitation for us to, to, to investigate, do what the uh, Alcoholics Anonymous says, the, uh, take a fearless moral inventory, right. uh, to, to uh, think through, pray through those spaces in your life where you've resisted the presence of the Lord. That thing was just too bad. God could not have been involved with that. We've got to shut it down. We can't talk about it anymore. It's ancient history and it has nothing to do with our yeah. here and now. But God is involved in all of the minutiae. He's intimately involved in the what looks to us like the very worst, most unspeakable parts of our lives. Yeah, there's no tourniquets in Scripture. We don't get to tie it off and cut it off. Mm -hmm. I, who knows for sure? Yeah. But I think you're yeah. onto it, and I think we get a glimmer and a glimpse of that in the Gospel of John in chapter one, mm -hmm. when Jesus approaches Nathaniel. 
Yes. So the language is not super specific, but I think contextually and even culturally, mm-hmm. Nathaniel was under the fig tree. Now that's an expression that in Hebraic culture and Jewish context, the fig tree is the place of meditation. But it's also not just meditation. There's a there's a contemplation of what is happening, what is reality. Where else can I go? Where else can but I the go? The fig tree. The fig tree to think. You get the sense that it's Jonah under the bush going. I was going to say, yeah. You yeah. get the sense that it's Elijah saying, "Oi, just just take me." Yeah. I, I mean, I remember my forefather Jacob and the stories of where God came to him. Where is God? Yeah. Where is I, God? I don't have any, I don't have any experience of God, so all I'm going to do is sit under this tree until and molt he, and, and molt. just and just disintegrate. Mm. And Jesus comes and says, "Oh." I saw you under the fig tree. You did not know God was in this place. I was with you. I was with you. I entered into that trauma. Whatever it was, mm-hmm. you even get the sense the way Philip speaks to Nathaniel at the end of John chapter 1, we found him. Blah, 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 and Nathaniel's kind of harsh in his response. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip just says, come and see. Like I'm not going to argue with you. I know you're a dumpster fire right now. It doesn't say that, but you kind of get the indication that Nathaniel is under the fig tree, and he's a, he's just a mess. Well, and you almost don't have to finish the sentence. Can come out of Nazareth? Could anything good come? Right, right. I mean, that's right. a very that's 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 what you're saying about the posture of a fig tree. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. a fig tree break is right, something like right, can, right. can is God here? Can right. anything good come out of my life? Yeah, he might as well have been somewhere up near Bethel, just going, I'm out of steam, I'm out of gas, I have no other plans, there's nothing else I can do, and Jesus walks in. And goes, Which is the appearance of Jacob's ladder. That's it. Right That's there. That's exactly it. And okay. so it's up for us to have the same sort of perspective as well. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think Jacob's going to find a bride next week. And then some. Hey, now, <laughs> join us 10 o'clock Sunday morning. Look forward to seeing you there. God bless.